You don't need to go there because I'm going to jump around as far as texts go. But the text on which this evening is built is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, he's just ready to leave now and go back to his Father. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so my first uh, talk, 20 minutes or so, will be on as the Father has sent me, and then near the end we'll do uh, so send I you. And, and I'll just tell you right up front, and I hope Alex is okay with this, that my prayer for you is, is uh, bigger than the one that was just mentioned. I, I think the numbers are backward, frankly. I, I just think short-term missions are a given for you. Just a given. I mean, I'm not saying long-term missions are, vocational missions are. I just think short-term missions are a given in the 21st century for all Christian people who live in mobile society. So uh, it should be 500, 250, not, or just 700. So um, you know that as far as my prayer goes, uh, I think all of you should do um, short-term missions. Now, maybe the two years puts a little limit on it. And secondly... Um, I do believe that God has been preparing a substantial number in this group to give your entire life to crossing a culture to take the gospel to a people group that do not yet have a self-sustaining church. And I'll say more about that meaning for missions. But if you, if you find yourself in that category, no, you're on my mind. You're on my heart. And I would like in 30 years or 20 years for you to look back on, what is it, September 3rd uh, at Forum and say, that was the night I crossed the line. We just sealed the deal that night with everything that was happening there. So those are my two broader longings and prayers. So, as the Father has sent me, now, the sending of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John is not like the sending of John the Baptist. There was, a, there was a man named John sent from God. There was a man named Jesus sent from God. Those aren't the same, are they? And the reason we know they're not the same is because the Gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the sending that Jesus is talking about. As the Father sent me from His eternal glory, divine reality with Him forever, never created, never came into being, reflecting all that the Father is, person, one with God, Mysteriously sent, incarnate, in a human being, a Jew named Jesus of Nazareth, who had flesh and blood, really human, really man, really God, and there's the sending. And he says, as the Father sent me. So that creates huge problems, right? I mean, we're not, we're not God. So in my second talk, I will deal with two of those issues of how we are not sent like Jesus and how we are sent like Jesus. So all I want to do now 
is to unpack for a few minutes the purpose and the reason for that amazing sending. God was, from all eternity, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for mysterious reasons that nobody can fully comprehend. He creates a universe in order to display the fullness of his glory and create a people who could, who could enjoy that glory and magnify that glory forever and ever. And something happens that creates the necessity for the sending of the Son into that creation, into that world. Now, what was that and why did he come and what did he do? That's the whole Bible, but we'll, we'll pack it into 15 minutes or so. First, God created you and everything else and everybody else and all the universe for his glory. I'll give you one verse for that. I could give you dozens. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Actually, starting in verse 6, it goes like this. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone whom I created for my glory. So I'm just going to put as a banner over the universe, God made this and everything in it from the beginning in order not to make himself more glorious. He can't be made more glorious than he is. But in order to make his glory visible, perceivable, enjoyable, admirable in the minds and hearts of creatures created in his own image. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. He created us that we might magnify, reflect his glory. That's why the universe exists. So you read in 1 Corinthians 10.31, the text that my dad quoted to me probably more often than any other verse that I can remember, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Johnny, do everything to the glory of God, which simply is taking the big macro purpose of the universe and turning it into a daily practical mission or duty that you're supposed to do. So there you have the, the design of creation and the duty of creation, if you want to call it that way. Created for his glory, now live for his glory. Whether you eat or drink, it's amazing, eating and drinking. I wrote an article one time called, How to Drink Orange Juice to the Glory of God. Because if, if we're going to say that verse, we need to have some idea. What in the world does it mean to drink? Diet, Coke, or whatever you call it. I, I think you call it Diet Coke. Uh, to the glory of God. Is that possible? Hope so. Psalm 19.1. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Even the rain. And the sun. Lord, let the sun, let the sun declare the glory of God. We've seen the glory of the rain. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm sure the farmers appreciate it. Now, one more comment on this. 
Whenever I say this, and I, I love to say this, wherever I go, that God created us all, everything for his glory, the reaction among skeptics and many Christians is that sounds megalomania. God is really into himself. Because if you said, the reason I'm here tonight is to display my glory, you would think that's sin. And it would be. Because I'm not God. Now, just one or two sentences about what could be hours of discussion. The reason that that's not evil in God is because God is infinitely glorious. And to, to put that on display is good for us. If God were to conceal his glory from you, the very joy for which you were made would be constricted and confined and limited. You were mainly made for the joy of admiration, not mainly the joy of sex or mainly the joy of eating, both of which are totally legitimate in their right place, but mainly the joy of admiration and not just the admiration of the skies, the mountains, and the glorious things of the universe, but the admiration of God himself. And if he didn't display that to you, you would not be able to enjoy it. And therefore, God is the one being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is the highest act of loving people. For you to do self-exaltation is not an act of loving people because you should point them to God, not yourself. That's the act of love, not yourself. So that's the first, the first way to set it up. Now, what happened? God made this universe and sin came into the universe. And with sin came death and futility and the horrors of the world that we see. What is sin? Now, you can look at this if you want to with me. Uh, Romans chapter 1. You know this text, I'm sure, but we need to, I think, make really clear. Romans 1. Get a definition of sin in front of us here. Because what we're moving to is, why did he send the Son? Why did he send the Son? What's this all about, this first sending? So Romans 1. Let's read verses 21 following. Although they knew God, this is everybody in all the nations where they have seen God in creation. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. That's why they were made. That's why you were made. That's why all the students in the British Empire were made. They were made to glorify God. They did not glorify him or give him thanks but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images. Let's just stop there. That's enough. They, they were offered by creation. Here's my glory. Know me. Love me. Enjoy me. Find in me your total and complete satisfaction and fulfillment and admiration. And they looked. Eve looked. Adam looked. You looked. And said, I prefer television. 
I prefer sex. I prefer food. I prefer fame. I prefer friends. I prefer wife. I prefer kids. I prefer preaching. That's the meaning of sin. You know, the verse we usually go to for sin is 323. All have sinned and fallen short. You know what's behind that word fallen short of the glory of God? Lack is the word. All have sinned and lack the glory of God. I think the meaning of the word lack in 323 is defined by 123. It's a little easy way to remember it. Romans 323 is explained by 123. And what 123 says is they exchanged. They, they were offered the glory of God. They considered its value, its beauty, its wonder. And they said, no, thank you. I have other agendas in my life. The glory of God is not fascinating, not interesting, not satisfying. It's not what I'm made for. I'm made for making it up the corporate ladder or whatever. That's sin. Sin is exchanging the glory of God for anything, whether it's ministry or murder. So that's what happened. Everybody fell into that condition. There's not a human being on the planet that is not like that. Nobody loves God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. We have all fallen short of what we were created to be. And now the question is, what was God's response to that? And his response, given the character that he is, was twofold, not single. His response, according to Romans 1, is wrath. 118. He's very angry about this. Verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what's the truth? They suppress that they were made for God's glory, that God is supreme and more glorious than all the values of their life. They're just constantly pushing that down and holding it under their subconscious. You know, for evangelism encouragement, it, these verses here are amazing because they, they basically say, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse for although they knew God, everybody in your campus knows God. They're just suppressing it. They can't suppress it if the Holy Spirit uses you to just get through one time. There's, there's God awareness down there. They're made in His image. They're made to give Him glory. And they all have gone the other way and traded off His glory for another. And God is very angry with them. And He loves them very much. So John 3.16 puts the two together. We we know that verse, but maybe we don't read the next ones. For God so loved the world that He gave. He sent... So here's the sending now. He sent the Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through Him, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That is, He doesn't stay under the wrath. But rather, does not, whoever does not believe is condemned already. And that takes us over to verse 36. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
Whoever does not believe, obey the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Your main mission, our main mission... No, I don't want to go there. That's the second talk, isn't it? <laughs> I'm supposed to be talking just about why he came. He came to deliver people from his wrath. He sent his son to deliver them. Now, how did he do it? How am I doing? I don't know what I, when I started. <laughs> Three or four minutes. More. How did the sending of the son solve the problem of the wrath of God? That is the main question for all of us in evangelism and what we want to share. And the answer is given... In lots of places, let's just go to Romans 8. Romans 8, and there, you know, one of the big controversies that the UCCF, Word Alive, other parts of evangelicalism in, the, in Britain, one of their controversies are on this issue that I'm about to touch on here. And I don't really want to make this controversial because it's just too glorious to be controversial. And it's really sad that it's controversial. Where's the book of Romans? Anybody know where that is? Thank you. Turn right. Go to Acts and turn right. Um, Verse 3 of Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending, by sending His own Son in the flesh Sinful flesh, the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, just bank on that for a minute. Camp on that for a minute. In whose flesh did he condemn sin? Just tell me. Christ's flesh. He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The reason it says likeness is because Jesus' flesh wasn't sinful. It was perfect. Now, He condemned sin in Christ's flesh as He died. Whose sin? Tell me. Ours. That's what we mean by substitution. That's what we mean by Penal substitution. Condemnation substitution. You've got glorious news. God sent glorious news into the world. His bad news is, I'm really mad at this world. His good news is, I really love this world. And the peace that puts the two together is, I'm going to send my son. And instead of condemning all the world... I will not condemn anyone who's in my son. Instead, I will pour out all my condemnation that belongs on them, on him. And when he dies, it's settled for those who will join him by faith. Let me read one text before I turn it over to these embassies. Let's go to chapter 10 of Romans and close with this. What? do we have to do to connect with the sending of the Son so that the wrath will not fall on us? And the answer is given in these verses. I'll just read them and then I'll pray and stop. Verse 9, chapter 10 of Romans. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth He's Lord, believe in your heart, For with the heart, 
one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then these next verses forge the link to the next part. How are they going to call on him? Proven they haven't believed. And how are they going to believe? Whom they haven't heard. And how are they going to hear? Without someone preaching. And how are they going to preach unless someone is sent? Father, we are here to make plain what the sending of the Son is about. And then what our sending is about. And we're here for the sake of the nations. Oh, that the ripple effect for the nations from Forum 08 might be unprecedented in the history of UCCF. I mean, the entire century-long history of InterVarsity around the world. Lord, let something happen among this band of young people as they dream about the purpose of their lives so that stories would be told in years to come about what you did tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.